Thank you, guys. Chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, and as, my, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see him, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been long, longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness on my own that comes through from the law, but uh, that which comes through Christ, uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brother, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, joining, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now even, uh, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. For, for, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syndicate to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in this book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And, with, and you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with you in your spirit. Will be with you in spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for Philippians. Thank you for this word. I pray that you will give Lance um, wisdom um, as he brings uh, truth to us. Help us to be open and humble to receive it and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Round of applause for these readers. Come on. All right, so if you're in a Bible reading plan for the year, you can cross off Philippians. That probably doesn't come under your plan. It's like September, but here you are. You're ahead of the game. It's a beautiful thing. 
Um, all right, so Philippians, right? I mean, these are the things that coffee mugs are made of, that the Hobby Lobby has made all their profits on. Like, this is what is hanging in your, your at least Philippians 4, uh, not so much Philippians 1, 1 through 11, which is what we're going to be in today. Like, as, for all the coffee mugs and all of the wall art that Hobby Lobby sells out of Philippians in particular, there's not exactly a whole lot out of this first part in Philippians 1, 1 through 11. But some themes that you heard are rejoice, right? You see why we would say, like, one of the main themes here is how do we find joy in the midst of suffering? Because if you missed it, and we'll preach on this in a couple of weeks, but in Philippians 1, 29 and 30, it says, it's a gift to suffer for Jesus. Well, there's something in the suburbs we don't hear enough. When I first grasped that verse, man, it shook me to the core to realize, like, okay, this isn't just about me. This is about, this is about living for Jesus in new ways that are caused me to sacrifice and suffer along the way. And may I see it as a gift. There's also this beautiful theme throughout from chapter one all the way to chapter four and that is the philippian partnership with paul's ministry the philippian partnership with paul's ministry and so it's no wonder that we're going to talk today about finding joy in partnership now in order for us to best understand this joy in partnership we need a little bit of a background lesson a history lesson as to how this church in philippi got started much less what is this church kind of like. Well, if you flipped over in your Bible, which you don't have to do, and I'm, I'm just going to highlight it, but if you look at Acts chapter 16, you would see the beginnings of the church in Philippi when Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke on Paul's second missionary journey somewhere around 60 to 62 AD go into Macedonia as a result of a vision that Paul had of a man in Macedonia waving at him. He wanted to go share the gospel in modern-day Turkey, and the Holy Spirit prevented him from preaching the gospel in Turkey anymore, or, or otherwise known as Asia in his world. And instead, there was a man in Macedonia waving at him, saying, come and help us. Macedonia is modern-day Greece. And so Philippi is in modern-day Greece. If you've never been there, I also haven't, and I'd like to go with you. So, but it'd be amazing, right, to go and travel. It'd be great. Um, but Philippi is a city, and it was a thriving city. Matter of fact, Luke writes this in Acts chapter 16 about Philippi. It is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. This Roman colony was where the military personnel went to retire it's also, if you keep reading in the, in the book of Acts chapter 16, it's where you find Lydia. Lydia was a dealer of, 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 of purple goods, right? Uh, purple was due to royalty. It was the sign of royalty. It helps us understand this was just no ordinary city. It was a thriving economy. Lydia was at the heart of it. And though Paul had a, a, a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come and help us, when he went there, the first convert was a woman named Lydia. And it was at her house that the church of Philippi was planted, the first church in Europe right here in Philippi. And as it got planted, Paul and his, his, his posse go out through the city, and there's a slave girl that has a spirit of divination. If you keep reading this in Acts 16, it's really amazing. She has a spirit of divination, and, um, and, and Paul delivers the, the spirit from her like almost out of annoyance, because for days she follows him, and the demon is going, behold, these are the servants of the Most High King. And like Paul's just annoyed with the whole thing. He goes, just get out of her. 
And then out it goes. And her, her masters get so upset with that deliverance that it says the whole city was stirred and disturbed. So much so, Paul and Silas get put in prison. Ah, the fruit of ministry, the fruit of faithfulness. No wonder he can say it's a gift to suffer. He gets put in jail, and that night Paul and Silas are singing hymns. Uh, if you don't know, jail is not like our jail. Um, it's far worse. Whatever you think of our jail, uh, Roman jail was usually in the pit underground. The inner jail, as Acts uh, 16 talks about with Philippians, is dusty and musty, as my kids would say, crusty and rusty. Okay, it is the inner dungeon. It's underground. There's no light. It's moldy. It's wet. It's damp. It's not a place your lungs are going to thrive, much less your eyes. And that's where Paul and Silas one night are singing hymns to one another. God sends an earthquake. You guys remember this story? God sends an earthquake, and it loosens their bonds. It also unlocks the doors. The lights are out, and the Philippian jailer that is there assumes everyone has escaped in the middle of the night with this earthquake that has gone on. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to fall on my sword because they're going to kill me anyways. The whole prison just escaped. And as soon as he's about to commit suicide, he has no hope because he's going to die. Paul and Silas chime in and they go, hey, man, don't do that. That's not good. We're all still here. Take, take heart. We're all st- we didn't leave. And the Philippian jailer responds and he says, what must I do to be saved? What a great response to selfless love. That's what selfless love did in the first century. It prompted a response because everyone else on the planet would have left, but not Paul and Silas. They're there just singing, enjoying their lot in life as much as possible. They did get beat, so that probably wasn't great. Uh, But the Philippian jailer, right, what does he do? must be saved. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets saved. Lydia got saved. They're ba- they're, they, they get baptized. And all of a sudden, you've got a merchant and a soldier that make up this first century church in Philippi. And it's in that context, with that background, that Paul writes from an imprisonment, now again in Rome. And what do we see? He's again in another dank dungeon And he's writing this, this letter that clearly has a deep theme of joy. I don't know what you do in sufferings, but my first inclination isn't to count count it all joy, as James says. And yet Paul is writing with great joy, great affection, and this affection is is just pouring out, especially in the first chapter that we're going to talk about today. Why is that affection being poured out? Because in that deep, dark, dank dungeon of prison, your rations by the Roman government were minimal. You didn't get three squares a day and a bed. Your rations every day were whatever they they kind of just threw into the group cell that you were chained to other prisoners. A lot of times it was mixed genders which created other issues. It's in that place with no rations really that actually the first century church thrived. When Jesus says, those of you who have gone and visit the prisoners have also come and visited me, it's because the Christians made a beautiful reputation by going into the prisons and feeding those that had no other way of feeding themselves. See, a a prisoner in first century Rome would have just simply starved to death 
over a long period of time if their friends or their family wouldn't come and bring them daily meals. And so if you were a prisoner, you got many friends and family? You got a lot of people that go, hey, you deserve it. Whatever, whatever they're doing to you, you probably deserve it. Usually, typically, how we see prisoners, right? But it's, 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 it's in Paul's uh, reality that the Philippian church have sent a great gift. You read it. It's right there in chapter 4, verse 18, this beautiful gift from the church at Philippi that he sends through Epaphroditus, and it says this in 18, I have received full payment. Paul, having no, no great amount of friendships in Rome, especially having never been there until he was sent there to go to prison, all of a sudden finds himself deep in this dungeon without any friends and family that are local, and it is through the church in Philippi, across the pond, so to speak, in Turkey, that they send full payment to him. I have received full payment and more, verse 18 of chapter 4. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And then listen to the language, a fragrant offering. It wasn't just a gift. It was an act of worship, a sacrifice and oh, our God has accepted it, for it is pleasing to him. And in that context, Paul has planted this ch church, and they are now supporting him, keeping him alive, and he is overjoyed with this symbiotic partnership that he has. So just like Paul, we can find joy in a local church partnership. And so I would ask you, as we get going, um, what needs to change in your perspective for you to find joy in partnership within a local church? What would need to change in you to have this kind of joy, or perhaps to be a source of joy for the clergy that are responsible for you, for the congregation amongst you, and the community in which you live? How can you establish a reputation of joy amongst those three groups. This isn't just my responsibility as clergy, as pastor. It's your responsibility as congregant. It's our responsibility as community. How do we become a church that reeks of joy, that's a fragrant offering, just like that church in Philippi? Well, Paul's going to uh, prepare the way for us. I think there's three things that we're going to quickly go through here as we um, unpack verses uh, 1 through 11 just for the day. The first thing is, how do, we, how do we create a community and a church of joy? The first thing is partnering in the gospel. Partnering in the gospel. Look at verses 3 through 7. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always and in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. The source of joy for, for Paul is that he is, he's got partners in the gospel from the first days when we first met with Lydia and the jailer until now. And I'm still in jail, y'all. Y'all are still faithful. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers or partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
Paul's deep gratitude for the church in Philippi was birthed because they had an unwavering partnership with him in the gospel. Now, this word for partnership is something that you would, you would uh, in other translations, it talks about fellowship. And we've talked about fellowship, and we've talked about partnership. It's actually the name of the church plant that's being sent out of this here church. Did you know that? The Greek word for partnership, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. And so when Josue deliberately chose that name and broke away from the Grove Church, so I'm not bitter, but deliberately chose that name, Koinonia, right? He did so with this thought in mind that he would have partners, that we would remain his partners, and that many partners would go and partner with him. And this idea of partnership, because it gets muddied up with fellowship, like around a potluck, like that's one thing. Like we're going to have fellowship down at barbecue in a couple weeks. That's one thing, but that's actually not a real good understanding of what this idea is. The best understanding is really like a 50-50 partnership on a, on a new uh, business venture. That really is the First Testament language, where they're 50-50 partners buying into a new business venture. So for you, you entrepreneurs in the world, you venture capitalists in the world, that's what membership in a local church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about 50-50 partnership in the gospel. And he says it in the rest of chapter 1. Side by side, pushing back the darkness together. That's what partnership is all about. And so it's no wonder that he's like, man, I have so much joy because I can sense and I know it's evidenced by your life, by your holiness and by your sacrifice. Epaphroditus just showed up with all kinds of money for me that I never would have had otherwise. Even though I'm in jail, your evidence of your partnership in the gospel is easy to see. And I wonder if it's easy for us to see our evidence of the partnership in the gospel in this local church. Or whatever local church you choose to be a part of, is it evident to those around you? Now, here's the deal. There's a few lies that we need to knock down in regards to what we give to any local church what we give to any local church. One, the, the first lie is that we don't really have anything to give. Like, it's a lie to think that you have nothing to give. It's married with the second lie, and that is the other people don't really need it. Uh, the other people don't really need what I have to give, but if we believe in a sovereign God, then we have to then also believe that God appointed you for this place and this people at this time for a specific reason that you may yet to discover or know but what a joy it would be to walk forward in faith partnering with others to discover that purpose that God has for you for however long he has you here or in whatever church you may choose to be a part of but there's a third lie and that is there's not a spiritual significance to what we're up to it actually doesn't mean anything and this is the growing um, chorus of our culture that this doesn't really mean much. It doesn't really affect my life much. Matter of fact, I've tried Jesus, and he didn't really work for me. That is a growing chorus of the deconstruction era of our day. We go to church, we plop, we pray, we pay, and we go home. And dare I say, that is not partnership. That's something. It's not what God called us to do with any local church. And so let me just clarify a couple of things here when we talk about our language that we use at the Grove, and that is partners versus members versus consumers. So we are all members of one body. That's what we would believe. We would all affirm that. But we specifically choose partners here at the Grove for a reason. 
and it's biblical, number one, but we're in a, in a culture that pays membership dues to Netflix and to F45 and to the country club and to whatever else that you're probably subscribed to that you forgot about, but you're still spending $5 a month on. Right? You are, you are consistently clicking your life away $5 at a time to subscribe to this, that, and the other on a free day trial, and that is somehow a membership there that you pay your fee and you get a service. If we look at the church that way, we are in trouble, and we become consumers. Instead of contributors to the body of Christ, we become consumers upon the body of Christ. So we look at that body as something to consume instead of a body that we contribute to. So I'm going to use some language here that's a little, um, a little much, but it's on purpose because I want you to be grossed out by it. Like, will we be lusty pornographers on the body of Christ? Or will we be loving participants within the body of Christ? That seems like way over the top, and I want, to be an, I want it to be an overstatement that we may never be consumers. This is his bride. We're his bride, right? That's a, that's a, that means that there's something special and holy and significant about us that he only gets one bride. He's not trading us in for anybody else. So let's not look upon one another or a service that we would lust after it and just take, 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 but that we'd enter into a body and participate because God has called it significant and holy and good. I just, I just want us to break away from church shopping. Like we're consuming a shirt. It's, it's far more significant than that. Take your time. Find the right place. But once you're there, covenant to it. Don't let some, some post online drive you away from community. Don't let secondary or tertiary issues theologically drive you away and be the purpose for disfellowship. Let, me, let us be committed like a marriage. Some of y'all are like, that's a little much, man. Like, you want me to be married to this place? I mean, in some ways, yeah. We're the bride of Christ. You and I are better when we're in committed, covenanted relationships. Do you know why? Because the other person can't walk away from you. Your marriage is better when you covenant. You, that's why you, 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 at the Christian way, the way that God wants and designed it for us is to covenant to one another so that we can be our truest self so the other person can't walk away. That's like the first three years of marriage, right? And then you realize, oh my gosh, they're not, they can't walk away. We trapped them and now they're not going to walk away. <laughs> like now they're choosing not to walk away and it's in that moment that you find the, doest, the, the truest, deepest meaning of love that you commit to one another, that you're not hiding anymore. You are your truest self, and there is rejoicing. That's the same thing for all of us. Like we go to neighborhood group, we try to take off the masks and, and all the goods and fines and thank you, brother, and bless turns into, man, I gotta tell you, like I'm struggling. I don't see meaning in my job anymore. I, I, like my, my, my marriage is just mundane. My kids are just bonkers. And your kids also are thinking, my parents are lamos. So we have teen growth groups for that. 
But there's opportunity here to take the masks off and be our truest self. And the only way that happens is when you know the next person that you take your mask off to isn't going to run and tell someone else and is going to take off. Partnership in the, talk, the, the gospel. So let's get some real talk here. I know I just did real talk. We can do real talk 2.0. The numbers at our church are really beautiful. Um, like last week, we had like 262 people here. The week before that, we had 162 people here. We don't know who's showing up. Uh, but there's also some really beautiful realities. People ask me all the time, especially as I'm interviewing candidates for that pastoral vacancy, describe your church. And I usually tell them something like this. It's better than it's ever been. It really is better than it's ever been. Ever since COVID, I don't know what happened. People are like, what happened during COVID? I'll tell you what happened during COVID. The crazy left. I don't know why. I'm, I'm, like, you're, so that means you're not crazy, apparently, because you're still here. <laughs> not everybody. Okay, that's probably too simple. All right, that's going to come back to bite me. <laughs> I have to remember, I'm not talking to someone one-on-one. I'm talking to everyone. All right. Well, that's nice. Nonetheless, look, COVID was a crazy time, right? And, and everybody had opinions. And the people that had strong opinions one way or the other just, just didn't make it through COVID here. They found other places, and that's fine. But for whatever reason, those with the strong opinions on one side or the other moved away or whatever it may have been. The result of that has been unity. The result of that has been real solid peace. The result of that has been we've actually been able to partner with one another on sanctification and growth. And so it's really beautiful. God has brought in some really cool people since COVID, like just solid believers. And now it's like, okay, we're here now tasked to go and make disciples. And so what would it look like for us to take this verbiage seriously? We now have 191 partners at the Grove. Awesome. Not our highest number ever, but we are at our highest numbers ever on average. 191 people call the Grove Church partnered home. They're committed to this place. We normally average about 50 other guests. We don't have the language in our, in our, in our documents that talk about regular attenders. You're either a partner or you're a guest. Regular attender doesn't exist in our vocabulary. We don't want, we don't want regular attenders, people that have been around for six, seven years just hanging, hanging tight. You're either get, just kind of seeing what we are or you're in. That's our, the heart of our language. Now, we usually have about 50 guests. Right now, we have 118 guests, and that's a trimmed down list. So we have almost three times as many guests that we normally have. And so here's my plea with you. If you're a guest and you've been around for any length of time. Partner, please. That would be my preference. Like, what else do you need? Ask the questions that you need to figure out if this is your place. Because ultimately, the, the elders, we need to stand before the Lord and know who we're responsible for, but also for all the other reasons that I just talked about, you are better off in a committed, partnered relationship with the local church. For your good, can I plead with you? Partner, or in kindness, go find the church that you can partner with. Go find the church that you can, this is like, I don't know if you know this, we have a document that we ask you to sign. You can be a partner of our church. And people are like, how dare you ask for a document to sign? You clicked and gave away more rights to Apple this last week than we'll ever ask for. (laughs) Okay, there's like four main things. We ask you to like be united in sound doctrine. 
Continue to worship Jesus as the ultimate person in your life. Be united in sound doctrine. Own your spiritual growth. I can't make you eat. I can only lead you to green pastures as a shepherd. So you've got to own your spiritual growth. Steward 4T, time, talent, treasure, truth. Regularly attend and participate in four areas. Sunday gatherings, neighborhood groups, serve teams, and growth groups. When you add all that up on a, on a, on a, uh, a weekly basis, it's about 6% of your life. Now, if you tithe your time, you'd still have some time to give, wouldn't you? Submit to the local elders and scripture as the final arbiter of all of life. That's what we generally kind of say, this is your place, make it your place. And if it's not, please go find the place. You need the place. All right, joy in partnership. That we would partner in the gospel. Second, that we would abound in love. Look at verses 9 and 10. Right? He, he's so overjoyed that they were partnering with him that in 9 and 10 he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. How will it abound? With knowledge and discernment. It is assumed Christian teaching in the New Testament would abound in love. We need to grow in our ability to love one another. I don't know about you, but every summer, and it's only in the summer, that we do growth charts for my kids. So I have it on the back of an old door that we had when we were, lived in Dallas. And so it's upstairs. So once a year, I get the old door down, and I bring it downstairs, and I, I, I line up all my kids. And the back of that door is like Reese when she was like two. So like this is like now a decade in the making of our growth chart that we have. And only once a year do we bring it out. And they're so excited. Like even my what will be 15-year-old this summer, that's not true. It can't be true. 15-year-old this summer. They, she gets excited. Ooh, how much did I grow? And where do I compare to Ellie? And where do I compare to Moses? I hate to tell you this, Moses is on a fast track. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, that's, but they, they get excited because they get to compare with one another. But also, they want to see the progress they've made in the last year. If you measured every day, you wouldn't see it. But once a year, you can look back and be like, man, look at all that growth. Or, man, I thought I grew more. We need a growth chart for our love for one another, that we would abound that it would grow more and more. And so perhaps that, that little growth chart is you asking someone that you trust, your wife, your husband, certainly people in your growth group and in your neighborhood group, hey, what, is, what has been your experience of me lately? Angry? Impatient? Joyful? Hey, in the last, since you've known me, do I look more or less like Jesus? in the last 10 years, five years, six months, 20 years. Good growth chart opportunities for us. But this kind of love that he's talking about, we growing in, is not any kind of love. It's not a generic love. It is agape love. And that is a distinct kind of Christian love that is pursuing one another's good at whatever expense to myself. Pursuing another's good at whatever cost to myself and it, of course, um, more readily applies to marriage and parenting, but he's talking about the local church. Now, when he says that we are to grow in that kind of love, he says two ways that we will do that, through knowledge and discernment. So how can your love grow in knowledge and in discernment? Well, discerning knowledgeable love assumes that you know what biblical love is. That you know what biblical love is. And it's that agape, pursuing one another's good at whatever cost to yourself. But also right here in verse 7, if you look at it, 
it is right for me to feel this way about you because you all, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers, partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And then we ver- go down to verse 10. We grow in a love, grow in abounding knowledge and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent. Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying that if we grow in knowledge, we grow in discerning love, we will grow in our understanding of what's important. We will grow in our understanding of, of, our, of how we manage calendars, of our, of our choices, that we would defend the gospel with every little choice, not just going out there and defending Jesus. We would defend the gospel and we would confirm it as the most important thing in our lives. By every decision that we make, and we would grow in our discernment of how important every single decision is that we make. So the questions to discern your love, my questions are this, what, what work ha- habits do you have that take you away from the priority of worship? What hobbies do you have that take you away from the priorities of of worship, and I'm not just talking about worship and singing, I'm talking about putting Jesus, glorifying God in everything that you do. What habits or hobbies or perhaps heart affections do we have that are keeping us from putting Jesus at the center? And then perhaps the other part of that is what have I not defended or confirmed that the gospel is most important in my life? So how do we find joy? We first partner in the gospel. We second abound in love. And then Paul makes this prayer to them in 10 and 11. It's my prayer in 9, excuse me. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Throughout the letter, throughout the New Testament, you see the urgency that the leaders of any given church put on the people of the church. And that urgency is driven by the fact that Jesus is coming back. The day of Christ The day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, when the bridegroom comes and and, and takes his bride back to his home. Jesus even tells the story, doesn't it? Better have your lamps trimmed and ready with extra oil, because he is coming back. I don't know what motivates you throughout the week, but the New Testament seems to indicate that the coming of Jesus should motivate us a whole lot in all those little daily things decisions that we make that he is coming back and when he comes back he will not turn the cheek so some of us in the room are going well i mean god's going to understand all these little decisions friends he is rich in mercy he is abounding in love he is slow to anger and he has standards did you know that the same thing happens in your marriage and it is a representation of the kind of love with which God loves us that in our marriages we have standards like, okay, I appreciate that, but I understand that, and it's been a long time, and we have a really busy week, but we're, can we just clean, can we clean the dishes? There's still a standard over time. That's silly, though, to illustrate like God still has a standard of New Testament commands 
for us to live in, even though he's slow to anger and rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. So let us not just separate ourselves from the responsibilities of being a Christian just because of God's grace. Matter of fact, the book of Romans pretty clearly says, so what should we do? Should we just sin all the more because this, this whole thing is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, so we can just sin however we want? And Paul says, may it never be. That's strong language in the Greek. Like, may it never, ever be thought of that you would take advantage of God's kindness in that way. This is not optional, this idea that we are to grow in grace. He says it right there. We fill with the fruit that we would approve what's excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that we would grow, abounding more and more. It is not optional in the Christian life. There is a popular author. Um, there's a popular pastor in the Oregon area. Uh, we love his book. There's a popular uh, podcaster that are in the ears of some of us in this church. He goes on to say that obedience is optional. Friends, then what are we doing with the New Testament? Why then is every command in the New Testament, why is the book of James there that says, without works your faith is dead? Now we're not here to earn salvation by works. That's not the gospel. No, instead, it's that you have been saved by grace through faith, not of works. But as a result of your salvation, you would go and do good works. It is an evidentiary work. It gives evidence to a salvation. It's not there to earn salvation. Well, the day of Christ is on the way, and Paul's prayer would, for them, and there I say for us, is that we would be abounding in informed and discerning love, making good decisions on what's worthy of worship, so that we can be absolutely full, it says in verse 10 and 11, 11 filled with the fruit of righteousness. What, what would your life be like? Like, would you come home and be like, babe, your life is filled with the fruit of righteousness. Come here. What would that look like in our marriages and parenting? You might be going, what does it mean to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well, Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, <coughs> and self-control. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Friends, I pray that we would not be a people that would just come in and out of local churches. I can tell you right now that the vast majority of this group in this room came from some other church for some other reason. Me too. But what would it look like for us to stay committed to a local church over the long haul? What would your life look like if you stayed beyond the two, the two years in any local church, not just this one, and then it was into four, and then it was into six, and then it was into decades, and you were able to look back and be like, oh, I see the growth chart now. I didn't see it before, because here's, here's the tendency. You live in a community for two to three years, and you get promoted to a job somewhere else, and you get two to three years, and you get transferred over here for that, this, and the other, and you go two or three years, and you go, man, I don't really like the way they handled that, so we're just going to move over here and go over here. And you go there for two to three years, and guess what you do? You're a toddler over 20 years of time. 
Two to three years, two to three years, two to three years. But if the same person sees you over 20 to 30 years, they can call you and go, hey, no more toddler time. It's time to grow up, as Paul would say. When I was a child, I did childish things. We're no longer children. You can't have that conversation with somebody you only knew for two years. And we don't know we need that conversation when we live the same cycle with different people over and over and over again. Now I realize I'm preaching to the choir for many of us. But for those of you that are new, if this ain't your spot, let you find joy in partnering with a local church. This one or another. And I w- we would gladly help you figure out whatever that looks like. You don't need to wander for too long. That's a desert wasteland. We will help you find another church. Like, seriously, we're not in competition. We're in collaboration with one another because we're one big family with Jesus as our big bro and our father as our father who sent Jesus to die on all of our behalf. So whether you're at this table or at another table, we're all on the same team. We'd be happy to escort you to another spot. We're also happy to to bring you in. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we um, love you. And we know that you love us. I pray for anybody in the room today that sees this as unimportant. I pray that you would show them that this is the words of life, that we would partner in the gospel together. Not for our sake, or just for our sake, but for the world around us, the community around us. I often wonder what it would look like for us, O Lord, to take seriously the New Testament, to be zealous for good works, The gospel of grace would so motivate us to sacrifice things on our calendar that we we love. They're not more important than what you've called us to. So, Holy Spirit, you are with us. You are in us. And because you're in us, we know that you can whisper to us in ways that no one else can. You can convict us and counsel us and comfort us. And so where we've been beautiful partners to any local church, I pray that I, pray that my, I would rejoice over that. Let there be conviction in my own heart, just as a leader and someone in Paul's place, just being, I just need to give God grace, God, give God worship for the grace that I've experienced in this local church. Not every pastor has the story that says it's better than it's ever been. I love those people. God's been gracious to us. May I be the first to come and repent and say, I don't do that enough. But may all of us also then follow in that step to be like, you know what? I need to repent. I don't know that I've partnered up as well as I need to. I've used some lame excuses to sit out. Or I've used some really good excuses to make excuses. Holy Spirit, convict, compel, Whatever it is that you need to do, we trust you. We abide in you. You are the vine. We are the branches. We're not in control. You are. So it's your life-saving grace flow through the branches into our hearts, correct and counsel. And if we just had one thing to take away, if this really means something, help us see it, help us know it, help us live it. In Jesus' name, amen.